The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Unfiltered podcast. This is episode 28. In today's episode, Emma, a holistic and integrative licensed clinical mental health counselor, will answer these five questions from our community. 1. I have a really hard time dealing with the flashbacks of the abuse that I experienced years ago. I have been told by my friends who have gone through something similar and therapists that mindfulness exercises can help me remain in the present. Can you speak about one of your favorite mindfulness exercises and explain why it is helpful for those trying to remain in the present? 2. What are five to ten things that I can do to rebuild my self-esteem? I suffered emotional abuse for years of my life and can't seem to shed the limitations she placed on me. 3. What are some boundaries that I can set with new people in my life to make sure I don't rush into the relationship and miss the red flags of abuse? I am asking for all types of relationships, not just romantic ones. 4. Can you please explain somatic experiencing and how it can help people who have experienced abusive relationships? 5. The abuse that I experienced left me with a terrible self-esteem. I have been working on building it up, but my anxiety is just killing my efforts. What are some techniques that I can use to overcome my anxiety? I get most anxious when I try new things because I have felt for so long that I'm not capable of doing anything. Hi Emma, thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Yeah, hi. I'm so grateful to be here. Thanks for inviting me onto your show. Thank you so much. Uh, let's get started with the questions right away. So the first question is, I have a really hard time dealing with the flashbacks of the abuse that I experienced years ago. I've been told by my friends who have gone through something similar and therapists that mindfulness exercises can help me remain in the present. Can you speak about one of your favorite mindfulness exercises and explain why it is helpful for those trying to remain in the present? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, I think prior to answering with a specific strategy that I like to use, it's important to just uh, bring up the topic of trauma um, because flashbacks is a symptom of trauma. And so I just want to kind of preface here that, you know, if anybody is experiencing flashbacks, that it's really important to seek professional therapy and support. Um, and to just talk a little bit about trauma itself. You know, that um, trauma is a response to a deeply distressing and disturbing event um, that overwhelms an individual's ability to cope. Um, and it can cause symptoms such as flashbacks, low self-esteem, dissociation, lots of different types of symptoms. So I just think it's important when we're talking about strategies to also always bring in the, the concept of trauma um, and that these are symptoms of trauma that may require some more individualized care and support. Um, And that could be a completely separate podcast, you know, going into <laughs> the different types of trauma um, and symptoms of that. Um, but when we're uh, looking at this question, specific strategies for mindfulness, 
Um, one of the things with trauma is what happens is we have kind of a nervous system response where we're in that threat response, the fight, flight, or freeze. And um, with a flashback in particular, we're, we're kind of brought back into either a physical or an emotional flashback where we're stuck in the past. And so a mindfulness strategy for helping to bring us back into the present moment um, is something called orientation. So orientation involves... Um, really orienting to the present moment in whatever way um, we're able to, whether it's kind of checking the calendar, what is the day, what time is it, um, looking at, um, so, so time or place, describing our environment. Um, we might be sitting in a room and notice, okay, the walls are yellow and I see this specific picture on the wall, um, describing what that picture looks like. Um, orienting might also be orienting to our body. So I'm noticing my feet on the ground. These are the sensations that I notice with my feet connected to the ground. Um, so orientation is a great strategy for just bringing ourselves back into the moment. Um, some other ways of doing that might be using our senses. So there's a technique I like to call the 5-4-3-2-1 technique, which involves our sense of sight um, our, our felt sense, um, sense of sound, smell, and taste. So we might kind of tap into our senses. We might say, what are five things that I see right now in this room? Or what are four things that I can feel? We might put like an ice cube in our hand or some sort of soft object, um, noticing how it feels. We might notice three things that we hear, three different sounds. Maybe the car's going by, maybe there's music playing. Two things that we can smell. Maybe we have a nice cup of tea or coffee or um, something that's cooking. Um, and then one thing that we taste. You know, if you have something you can taste, it might be putting a piece of candy or a mint in your mouth or maybe you've just had a sip of coffee. Um, so that 54321 technique can be really helpful as well for orienting in the moment. Thank you so much. Those were very helpful techniques. So thank you for sharing mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Then let's go to the second question. What are five to 10 things that I can do to rebuild my self-esteem? I suffered emotional abuse for years of my life and can't seem to shed the limitations she placed on me. Hmm. Yeah. So self-esteem is another one that we can kind of go back into that trauma conversation where, um, you know, different types of trauma, including post-traumatic stress disorder. And then there's also what we call complex trauma. And complex trauma can be like long-term repeated trauma, whether it's in, in a, um, a domestic abuse relationship or childhood trauma. Um, but it can really have a, have a significant impact on our overall self-esteem. Um, so when we're talking about the, the question kind of asking five to 10 strategies on improving self-esteem, um, there's not really a quick answer to that. Um, it's not necessarily, you know, a list of specific strategies we can go to. It again kind of involves really working with an individual counselor or a coach or someone who can really um, kind of tap into what is going on. Um, so the two different approaches that I like to work with are cognitive behavioral therapy and internal family systems. Um, 
And these two approaches really help people to kind of become their own therapists in a way. It's about learning how to build a different relationship with yourself and those thoughts that are coming up. Um, so low self-esteem might be thoughts of, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. Um, so we're really looking through these approaches to identify what are those thoughts? What are the thoughts that you're having and what are the situations that bring those thoughts up for you? Um, it might be, you know, a crisis at home, a work or a school presentation, different life roles, different relationships that are bringing up these thoughts for you. So kind of the first step is becoming aware of and maybe even making note of what are these thoughts um, that you have about yourself. Um, and then we're looking at, once, we, once we've become aware of those thoughts, we're looking at, you know, ways to challenge those thoughts. So um, really understanding that your initial thoughts that you have about yourself or a situation might not be the only way to view it. Um, so if there's a way to bring in this idea of curiosity, you know, noticing, okay, I just had this thought that, you know, I'm not, I'm not good enough or I'm a failure, um, and making note, okay, I just noticed that I said this, this thought to myself and Seeing if you can take a deep breath and take a step back from it and get curious about it. Huh, I'm wondering why that's happening right now. I wonder if I could explore that a little bit more. Um, and then you're kind of looking at, is this, is, is this really factual or is this, is this, you know, based on false, you know, perception or beliefs? Um, how long has this thought been there? Have I always felt this way or is this something new? Um, so we're getting curious and we're looking at different ways of, in cognitive behavioral therapy, we look at different thinking patterns um, that can exist. So, for example, one might be all or nothing thinking where we we see things kind of in a black and white perspective. It's either all this or all that. Um, everything is good or it's all bad. Um, so you might think something like, if if I don't succeed in this task, I am a total failure. I'm a failure at everything. Um, so that would be kind of the all or nothing thinking. So we're kind of trying to identify these, these thought patterns. Um, another thought pattern might be you know, mental filtering. So this might mean, you know, focusing or dwelling on the negative, um, which can really distort our views. So like, I made a mistake on that report and now everyone's going to realize that I'm not up to the job. Um, so it's kind of focusing on the worst case scenario. So there's different thought patterns kind of in this approach that we can identify and notice and really kind of make note. A journal is a good, a good tool to use to just kind of jot down. What are the thoughts that we're having? Does it fall under any of these categories um, of, of kind of thought pattern distortions is what we call them. And then we start moving into a strategy of trying to adjust our thoughts and our beliefs. So replacing those negative thoughts with positive, more accurate thought patterns. Um, so bringing in some self-compassion, using hopeful statements, um, instead of thinking a situation might not go well, trying to focus on the positive by saying something like, you know, we're, we're kind of bringing in the reality of the situation. So maybe an example would be, even, even though this is tough, I believe in myself to be able to handle this. So we're acknowledging this, the situation or the scenario, but we're also um, showing some, some self-compassion. Um, 
I think also really self-forgiveness is big here. It's it's really just acknowledging that we all make mistakes and mistakes are a positive thing. They're actually something to celebrate in a way because it's a learning opportunity for us. Um, when a mistake is made, we get to be curious about it and we get to we get to gather information um, to make a change and to do something different in our lives. Another strategy here might be avoiding should or must statements. So if you're finding that your thoughts are really full of these words, it might be an indication that you're putting really high expectations or demands on yourself. Um, so trying to kind of let go of these should and must statements um, can be helpful. Um, Relabeling upsetting thoughts is another strategy. So thinking of negative thoughts as, as signals um, to try something new, something different. So maybe asking yourself, you know, what can I think and do to make this less stressful? Um, being encouraging to yourself, um, giving yourself credit for the things that you are doing well and things that have um, changes that you have made in your life. Um, so something like, you know, my, my presentation might not have been perfect, but my colleagues asked questions and remained engaged, and that means I met my goal. So I'm trying to find other ways. We're reframing those those kind of negative thoughts that we have about ourselves. Um, so those are some strategies kind of using the, the cognitive behavioral framework. And then um, I do work with um, internal family systems as well. So this approach is, is looking at how our um, mind is kind of made up of different subpersonalities and different parts that there's kind of like a core central part um, or aspect of us called the self or the core essence. And we have these protective mechanisms that show up um, that can kind of move into extreme roles based on different things that happen to us and then influence these beliefs around low self-esteem. Um, so that may be, you know, certainly, again, we could have a whole other podcast talking about internal family systems therapy and the different aspects of it. But um, if someone is looking to learn more about themselves around self-esteem and to improve their self-esteem, these two approaches, cognitive behavioral therapy and internal family systems, might be some great ways to to look into that. Thank you. And I really uh, I liked your answer overall, very informative. But one thing I, I would want to comment on is that when you said that, um, when you were talking about the cognitive behavioral therapy approach and uh, like challenging your uh, thoughts, like asking yourself, where where does this thought come from? And has it always been there? Uh, has that negative thought about myself or a thought related to low self-esteem has it always been there the thought because especially when we look at this question that uh, it's about I suffered emotional abuse for years so when you get into the root of the thought you might notice that well I haven't said this to myself like originally it was actually the what whoever was the abusive person like once they entered into my life then I started to hear this thought about myself and then gradually I started to believe that and then that way you are able to get uh, like realize hey is it something that someone else has said to me or is it me or who who what is the origin of this thought so I, I, I really mm -hmm. liked like that point it was really great yeah absolutely then the third question 
What are some boundaries that I can set with new people in my life to make sure I don't rush into the relationship and miss the red flags of abuse? I'm asking for all types of relationships, not just romantic ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, boundaries are important. Um, one of the quotes that I love to share when I'm working with clients around boundaries is, and I and I can't necessarily quote who said this, but it was a, something maybe I saw on social media that I love. And the quote is, if someone gets upset about you setting a boundary, it is because they were benefiting from you not having any. So I love that quote because it really shares how, you know, sometimes when we try to set a boundary with someone, they get really upset at us or um, they might engage in gaslighting or manipulative behavior um, towards us. Um, but so it's good to remember it's that people are going to get upset when we set boundaries. Their parts are going to react to us. Um, and that doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong. In fact, it might actually mean that we're doing something right in that in that situation because we may have been allowing that person to cross uh, lines and boundaries for a while. Um, one thing that can help us around setting boundaries also is is everything that we've t- we've talked about around self-esteem. You know, if if we have low self-esteem, we're going to be less confident in setting boundaries and standing up for ourselves. Um, so working on building building your self-confidence is a really good way to learn how to set boundaries. And then when we get into kind of talking about how do we set boundaries. So I think this question refers to what are some specific boundaries that I can set. And instead of kind of giving examples of that, I think it's more important to spend some time with yourself really learning what what are your boundaries and that might mean looking at um, what are your values what what are your moral or ethical values what feels good to you what does not feel good to you Um, what are your wants and your needs and your desires Um, and this might be you know a self-reflective practice or something that you can do with um, a loved one or you know a friend or with a therapist or a coach Um, Spending time journaling, you know, what are things that have not felt good to me in relationships and what are things that I really do like in relationships? What are my red flags? Because we're all unique human beings, so it's hard to give specific answers as far as here's the specific boundaries you need to set in relationships. It's very um, unique to each individual. Um, Another aspect to think about here is is working on, and this again goes back to trauma, where people-pleasing or fawning tendencies can also be a response to trauma. And if we are kind of in that extreme role of people-pleasing, we might be less likely to be able to set a boundary. So that might be an aspect to talk to your counselor or your coach about is working on people-pleasing or what we call fawning tendencies, doing things in an effort to avoid conflict. Um, and then there's some ways to think about setting a boundary. So when we're setting a boundary, we're wanting to use what we call assertive communication. Um, so this is, you know, really being clear and authentic to ourselves and, um, and truthful in what we're asking for. Um, so we might approach the person by, you know, just giving them a heads up, letting them know a boundary has been crossed um, and asking for a conversation. And then we might go into describing the facts of what happened. So just explaining, you know, this is, this is how I perceived the situation as how it happened. 
Um, then we describe the impact that the situation had on you. So was there a physical, um, mental, emotional impact that the situation had? And then we move into stating our values and our needs in the relationship. And once we're finished with that, we go into stating our boundary and what our request is moving forward. Um, and our, the hope is that the person is going to be open to receiving this. You know, if we approach it in a way that is calm and clear and compassionate and really just expressing where we're coming from, um, it's important to use I statements. So if we're kind of pointing the finger and saying, you did this and you, you know, we're, we're kind of accusing um, or attacking the other person, they're going to be much less likely to receive and hear our boundary. Um, we also need to remember that if a person doesn't respect our boundary, that you have the right to walk away from any relationship at any time without without an explanation. You know that your safety is the priority here, um, and to just remember, you know, we're not we're not meant for everyone, and not everyone is meant for us. And um, you know, we have a lot to learn from relationships. So walking away from a relationship might be a big um, learning experience for us that will be helpful for our future relationships. Thank you so much, especially walking through like how to actually set the boundary and what are the different like uh, phases uh, in it because it's a skill and not everyone is uh, like familiar with it like for different reasons like there are many many circumstances where we never some of us never learned how to actually set the boundary and yeah it's uh, it was a great answer thank you so much um then the question number four can you please explain somatic experiencing and how it can help people who have experienced abusive relationships yeah absolutely um somatic experiencing is one of my favorite approaches something i use quite often in my practice um and the word somatic means of the body. Um, so it's a body-based sensation approach. Um, this approach was developed by Dr. Peter Levine, and it's really based on the idea that traumatic experiences can lead to dysfunction in the nervous system. Um, and this can really keep you from fully processing the experience that happened. Um, so there's an energy from the stress response that we experience and um, we can, this kind of energy can become stuck or frozen in the body um, because of the need to really su suppress it for safety. So if we're in an abusive situation, we might not be able to fight back because we need to protect ourselves and keep ourselves safe. So that energy then becomes stuck and frozen without a place to go and still really needs to be discharged in order for us to safely heal from that experience. Um, so the goal from for somatic experiencing really is to help you notice this frozen energy that's in the body through your bodily sensations and then to use this awareness to um, really acknowledge and work through the, the painful or distressing sensations or emotions in that experience. Um, so another piece of this approach is that it's, um, it's a bottom-up processing experience. So a lot of times we are conditioned to process things in a top-down way. So where we might think of something, um, then we have an emotion 
about the thought, and then we have a sensation in response to that emotion. Um, but the way that we are born, the way that we come into this world, is um, perceiving things from a bottom-up um, process. And so it's kind of tapping into, you know, the reptilian or primitive brain, which is picking up on sensations. So, for example, if we're a baby and we have a sensation of hunger, um, that's kind of that primitive brain. And then it goes into um, the limbic brain, which is where emotions live. Um, so we might have um, an emotion about the sensation of hunger, and then it moves up into the prefrontal cortex where we make meaning of the situation. So somatic experiencing is kind of helping us to relearn that innate way that we were born with processing this information. Um, so it starts kind of with, um, I, I like to, I like this acronym RAIN, which stands for recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture, um, when we're talking about somatic experiencing, because it just kind of helps remind us that, you know, first we're working to recognize the bo bodily sensations, um, learning about the nervous system, um, and the part that it plays in the trauma response. So we're, Getting to know our body, you know, we might notice, okay, my my hands are clenching tight or I feel um, tension in my stomach. And then we're kind of going towards that sensation. We're exploring it. We're noticing the qualities of that sensation. Um, is it expanding? Is it contracting? Is it growing? Is it moving? Um, we're noticing, is there... Um, is there a color? Is there an image? Um, you know, what what is the sensation? We're describing that quality. Um, so that's kind of the first kind of learning the skill around um, the sensations. Um, then we're working with resourcing and grounding. Um, so this is really helping us to access our innate strength and resilience and to kind of gain a sense of peace. Um, it might involve kind of drawing on the resources that you already have developed within yourself. So tools that you might already have as far as breath work or um, drawing on positive memories of a person or a place or something that you love um, when you're feeling distressed or when you encounter a triggering situation. Um, so it involves really using mindfulness and grounding strategies to calm your nervous system when you're triggered. Um, and this can help you really stay calm and present as you're encountering these um, felt trauma sensations or memories of an event that happened. And the next step is, is titration. So once you've kind of learned resourcing strategies, grounding or mindfulness strategies, then we begin kind of slowly revisiting the trauma and the related sensations. Um, and, and titration meaning like really slow. This is a slow process, following the body and following the system. Um, it really slows things down so that we can handle can handle what's coming up for us. Um, so we're slowly revisiting the trauma. We're tracking our bodily sensations, and this might involve tracking, you know, breathing sensations or what what the physical body is doing. Um, and then we move into what's called pendulation. So um, this is where we, what we talked about before, as far as once we've discovered that frozen energy, we need to allow that energy to move and discharge. 
Um, so this might involve crying or shaking, um, movement, different ways in which our body is wanting to release the energy. Um, and we're listening to the body through all of this. So it's not necessarily where the therapist is going to say, you know, this is the way you need to release this energy. It's we're asking the body, how does the body want to release this? How does it want to move this energy? Um, and self-compassion comes into this process a lot. We're really noticing, we're allowing, we're validating the experience that we're having. Um, so another acronym in this process is called SIBAM, S-I-B-A-M. And it stands for, the S is size or sensations, the I is image, B is behavior, A is affect, and M is message. So that's kind of the process we're following in this, in somatic experiencing where we're, we're noticing the sensations, we're describing the qualities of that sensation or their images. Um, behavior, we're looking at the gestures. So if we're experiencing a sensation, we might notice that all of a sudden we are wrapping our arms around ourselves or all of a sudden um, we bring a hand to our chest. Um, so the gestures are all information, the behavior. The affect refers to emotion. And then we're looking at the message. What's the message here? What is this sensation trying to tell us? Um, so yeah, another topic we could go on on and on about. I love I love somatic experiencing, but hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Uh, then the question number five: the abuse that I experienced left me with a terrible self-esteem. I have been working on building it up, but my anxiety is just killing my efforts. Efforts. What are some techniques that I can use to overcome my anxiety? I get most anxious when I try new things because I have felt for so long that I'm not capable of doing anything. Yeah, yeah. So anxiety is is a really common common response and common topic that comes up in my practice. Um, we've talked some about grounding strategies, you know, orientation, the five, four, three, two, one. Um, Breathing strategies are really helpful for anxiety because it, it, our breath really is such an amazing tool. It informs our nervous system, uh, whether we're safe or we're not safe. Um, so sometimes engaging in a breathing strategy when we're feeling anxious, um, uh, might, might be really helpful. And, um, there's several that I like to use. One is, um, the four eight strategy. So taking a breath in through the nose for a count of four and exhaling through the mouth for a count of eight. So the idea is that we are extending our exhale really slowly and really long, longer than the inhale. Um, it's because if when we're anxious, a lot of times we're breathing in our chest or we're holding our breath or we're breathing really fast. And that is kind of our, our nervous system communicating that it's experiencing a threat. Um, we're in a fight or flight response. So if we can tune into our breath and use our, our, our um, mindfulness strategy to really slow the breath down, it's giving the nervous system information that we are safe, that there is not a threat present. Um, so that can be a really great um, strategy. Um, another one is um, visualization. 
So visualizing maybe a safe space or um, something that helps us to feel safe. Um, it might be bringing a hand to your heart or a hand to your belly and just communicating to yourself, I am safe, I'm here, I've got you. Um, tapping into some of these you know, somatic experiencing internal family system strategies are really great as well. So using compassionate inquiry, we're kind of checking in, you know, remembering this is a part of you that's experiencing anxiety. Um, it isn't all of you. It's a part of you. So that can help, that idea can help us get space from that part of us and get curious about it. Um, you know, we're acknowledging, okay, part of me is feeling anxious right now. I understand why you're feeling anxious. This is maybe, you know, we're in a social situation that's new to us. This makes sense. So we're validating what's happening. And then we might ask that part of us, you know, what what does it need? What does it need right then and there? It might just need us to take a deep breath. It might need us to step out of the room for a moment. Um, but anxiety, just like other symptoms, is is kind of coming in to provide information for us. The anxiety is happening for a reason. There's something that it's trying to communicate. So if we can tune into what is it communicating? Is there um, something in the situation that we're in that isn't safe? And maybe it's telling us that we do need to get out of the situation. Um, so getting curious and and having that kind of compassionate uh, inquiry can be really helpful, as well as using those grounding strategies. Um, another thing with anxiety is also looking at stress, you know, stress factors. So, uh, you know, checking in with ourselves about what are we doing to release that stress cycle. You know, we're experiencing stress every day on a daily basis where the body is interpreting threats all day long and we don't necessarily have regular practices to release that stress. So tapping into practices such as physical activity or breath work, um, visualization, creativity, emotional expression, um, all ways to really make sure that we're doing something every single day to relieve and release our stress can help reduce our anxiety as well. Thank you so much. I think uh, your uh, one one thing I want to comment on when you say that like it's important to get curious like about what's what's happening, why you are feeling this way, or why am I having these thoughts, etc. It's also very helpful. Uh, because it kind of forces you to step, take a step back and see yourself as a, from a different perspective. Because otherwise, we all often might be in this that the feeling is so overwhelming that everything like we can't like see clearly. Mm -hmm. So when we get curious, I feel like it forces us to take that one step back and kind of see see uh, things in perspective. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, today we had some great questions and great answers. So I want to thank thank everyone for listening to this episode and thank you, Emma, so much for coming to this episode and answering all these questions. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me here. And you know, of course, if anybody has any other questions for me, I can um, certainly share my contact information. Really grateful to be here.